Everyone, this is Dr. Michael Wald, and thank you for joining me on this edition of Ask the Blood Detective. And today's show title is The Three A's, namely aging, anemia, and arthritis. Of course, there's an interrelationship between all of these, but I just thought it would be cool to talk about three conditions that began with A's. <laughs> there's no other particular reason why I decided to discuss it. Okay, so let's talk about aging. You know, Old age does not necessarily bring disease, and most of us have no idea what that statement means because the patients that I've questioned over my 30 years of experience in uh, holistic medicine, uh, people tend to think that uh, aging is something that brings disease. I would suggest that aging is something that is concomitant with disease, meaning that Disease often does come along with aging, but aging isn't the cause. And recent work at Harvard University, their scientists have redefined aging as a treatable condition. We'll get to that a little bit uh, later in the show. So there's nothing to suggest that the older we get, the more aches and pains we should have, or the less uh, resistant uh, we should be to infections or the more prone that we should become to heart failure and stroke. What sometimes suggests is, what I've just said is that we look around and we see a lot of sick old people, so naturally we put them together. Well, the question ought to be, I think, what brings what? Does age bring disease or does disease bring aging? What are the factors of aging? A sickness is caused by poor nutrition, to various health principles, not merely by the passing of time. So in other words, if you treat yourself badly, disease happens. If you treat yourself well, aging will always happen, but disease won't always happen. Many people experience longevity without any aches or pains, uh, with heaps of vitality and energy, and that, that's what I've seen in my life and also in, in my own life personally. Now, for some of you older than I am, and I'm 54, you might say to me, well, you're, you're still a child and you, you don't know what you're talking about. But again, I've got 31 years of experience uh, distinguishing the difference between diseases that people have during aging and what aging seems to be. So those people who experience, as I said, uh, longevity without aches and pains with heaps of vitality and energy have learned that, uh, that the lessons of good health and they live by them. And as many of us have heard, there are many models throughout the world of old folks enjoying perfect health, free of any aches and pains, uh, signs and symptoms without any medication, not even an aspirin. So do not accept the mediocrity of our chronically ill Western civilization, which the older you become, the sicker you can expect to be. Rather, with age, let wisdom come with her own 
and discover and practice the laws of good health and become less sick and more healthy. What I've seen over the last few decades is exactly that. When people practice certain basic principles, they reduce their risk of aging dramatically. Some people might say, well, I ate well and I took my vitamins and I did my juicing and all that and I still got disease. Oftentimes, when I examine these individuals and I look at their chemistries and then look at what they uh, have done in terms of their, their health and lifestyle, I found that they thought that they were doing things right, but in fact, they weren't. So the question obviously is, what does it mean to do something right? Well, as the blood detective, and I encourage you to be your own blood detectives, it does come down to what you actually need. And because most people base their health efforts on how they feel, or maybe something that they've read or heard on a, on a radio show like this, they assume that they're doing everything right. But unless you've had the right kind of detailed chemistry looked at and evaluated for a disease prevention, there's just no way you can guess that. Now, of course, there are no guarantees that if you do everything perfectly, you won't get disease. But once again, you will dramatically increase your risk of diseases. You know, what's interesting is that um, during the last century, a lot was said about achieving vitality in your midlife and sustaining it throughout uh, and into later life. Much of the um, holistic health industry has focused on the basic uh, healthy approaches, the natural approaches that should lead to greater health, such as uh, you know, eating healthy foods, getting sunshine, uh, breathing fresh air, um, eating healthy foods, and uh, drinking pure water. Uh, you know, ha be happy with uh, and that those sort of practices are uh, generally speaking where you want to focus. But you want to individualize what you need to do within those different categories, so that you can personalize what you need. You know, in the 1950s, there was a a, a physician, uh, Dr. Roger Williams, who almost no one mentions these days, and he, t he coined the term uh, biochemical individuality. Before him, there was no such concept. But once he formed that term, those in research and natural health and even medicine started to think about the individual needs of patients and the entire paradigm of how to obtain health has changed. But what I find having taught to tens of thousands of all types of healthcare practitioners uh, over the last 30 years is that oftentimes even well-intentioned healthcare providers give lip service to biochemical individuality but don't actually check the patients for what they need. But on the other hand, just this morning, I looked at the records of a woman with probable uh, multiple sclerosis. And I looked at her laboratory tests and many, many important tests were missing to figure out her biochemical needs. So the question now becomes, well, how do you know if the testing I'm getting or you're getting from a natural healthcare provider or a regular allopathic physician will reveal what I need for my biochemical individuality and my biochemical uniqueness in terms of food, air, water, and all of that that goes into lifestyle? Well, I have no easy answer for you in terms of how you can tell the difference between one practitioner and the other, other than to educate yourself on shows like this. So for example, 
with the uh, patient I just mentioned, she had lots of different uh, hormone tests. And most of the hormone tests that she had gotten done are absolutely useless. And we know based on the medical literature that they're not, that they're not reliable. So this person spent uh, thousands of dollars getting tests because she thought she was trying to figure out a biochemical uniqueness, but got it wrong. So unless you learn from the right sources, in other words, you don't simply want to learn about, let's say, hormone tests on the internet, because most of what you'll find is actually positive uh, and it's actually wrong. And how do I know that a lot of the hormone tests, not all of them, but a lot of them are just wrong? Well, because I looked at the original research and then throughout the decades, I've actually tested and I've seen when I've put, let's say, the name of different patients on the same hormone uh, saliva sample or blood sample that I've gotten different results. And it doesn't take much more than that. And, you know, at the start of the 21st century, we're more aware of the pollution of the planet, which can affect our vitality. One of the ways that pollution, for example, affects our health is called free radical damage to cells. And I'm speaking about one of these vital factors, which is the air we breathe, because it's often not taken into enough consideration uh, when we're trying to deal with uh, um, developing uh, healthy plans for people, at least the way I do it. So as I mentioned, one of the ways that pollution affects us is through free radical damage. Since early studies of the 1950s demonstrated that exposing laboratory animals to radiation aged them more rapidly than otherwise, scientific focus on the aging process has been on free radicals, which are generated not only by radiation, but also by environmental pollutants, uh, you know, chemicals in the water, uh, air, and the food that you drink. Uh, there's pharmaceutical drugs in the water that you're drinking. Uh, as well as uh, being normal, there's normal byproducts of cellular metabolism. So what I mean to say on that last point is the body will naturally produce free radicals. But if free radicals are not uh, kept in check, whether they are environmentally produced or taken in from the outside, uh, they will cause accelerated aging and abnormal aging, which leads to disease. It's now known that increased levels of free radicals in the body tissues can be very detrimental to health and vitality, and they're implicated in the causes of many different diseases. Virtually all diseases have some free radical influence. So therefore, longevity is affected, and diseases such as cancer, arthritis, autoimmune disease, senility, and many, many more will result in a person with excessive free radical damage. So what do you do with that? Well, you get a test for overall free radical pathology. There is a urine test called MDA. I've mentioned it during my prior blood detective shows. It's a, an abbreviation for malonyldialdehyde. That is one of the most potent oxidative markers in the body and most accurate ones for overall body oxidative stress and inflammation. But it is a very rare thing. I can count on one hand over 31 years how many people have come to me with that test already done by another practitioner. When I don't see that test done, when someone has at least one major disease, I know that the practitioner that they were at failed them just by that one thing. And if they don't, for example, come to me after they've suffered from chronic disease with a test of absorption, I know once again, or malabsorption, that their prior practitioners uh, literally did not know what they were doing. They jumped into things like hormone testing and amino acid testing and Krebs cycle testing. And I'm not saying there's absolutely no 
use for those tests. But if you have a malabsorption problem, those tests that I just mentioned and many others, they're going to be abnormal. And if you treat those things, those abnormalities, by not fixing the absorption first, you are not doing someone justice. Does that make sense? For example, if you malabsorb protein, but your practitioner did an amino acid urine test for $450, and amino acids come from proteins, you could take the amino acids, but you really need to fix the absorption of the proteins so your body fixes the amino acids. And the same goes true with fatty acid analysis and Krebs cycle testing and hormone testing. So it's now known that increased levels of free radicals in the body tissues can be extremely detrimental. There isn't a condition that you can name from Hashimoto's thyroiditis to multiple sclerosis to migraines to menstrual pain that does not have some impact or is not impacted by free radical damage. So the free radical theory of aging, by the way, is but one theory of aging. The free radical theory of aging provides a very practical framework for anti-aging strategies. That's what I found over time. Because if you know someone is having free radical damage, you can give them antioxidants. Except the problem with antioxidants, everyone, is that the term antioxidant is what I call a misnomer. It is a misinterpretive or misuse of a word. So when you take vitamin C or vitamin E or selenium, the so-called antioxidants, depending on your body's nutritional chemistry and biochemistry, those so-called antioxidants may actually act as oxidants in your body. Yep. And how do I know that that's true? Well, I didn't make it up. It's very basic information in the field of um, oxidation, antioxidant uh, theories, even in traditional medicine. And you can always check your oxidative marker in your urine. If you give someone the so-called antioxidants and the oxidant marker in the urine increases, you are making them more oxidative. And in case I didn't make it very clear before, oxidative stress is, generally speaking, bad. So over-oxidation is bad, but we also require oxidation to break up, let's say, malignant cells. So for example, if you have metastatic cancer, you don't want to be taking doses of oral vitamin C. You want intravenous vitamin C because any dose even a gram, a thousand milligrams of intravenous vitamin C acts as an oxidant when it's given intravenously. This is not my opinion. This is not even a holistic opinion. If you were to Google intravenous vitamin C and cancer, you'll notice that you'll see scholarly articles pop up. And those are the articles that are straight from the Library of Medicine. And then you can verify what I'm saying. Today, as you all know, we live in an environment that exposes us to lots of free radicals. More and more antioxidants are being recognized also. Many vitamins and minerals act as antioxidants in the body and slowly we're becoming and learning, I should say, more about their specific activity. Most of the advice on uh, longevity presented in the last, I would say, almost 50 years, the last 50 years of the 20th century was based on specific supplementation to provide nutrients that were found to be deficient in the typical uh, devitalized Western diet that acted to prevent or protect against the ever-increasing free radical exposure and damage or provided support to uh, a weakened or declining 
hormonal system. That's what the research, that's what the research was initially on. While there's strong evidence that this approach has been beneficial in prolonging health and sexual function from a hormonal perspective, it's obvious from any holistic perspective that this is not the only or even the best approach uh, to these problems. What is the best approach to any problem? I'm asking you as blood detectives. The approach to any problem is the following. This is a big one. And I say this to patients. When they say, how do you know what to do for my health problem or health problems. And I would say, I will find out and fulfill on what you need for your needs. So in other words, when I give even professional level seminars, I might talk for eight hours on, let's say, autoimmune diseases. And then inevitably doctors will, will get me at the break or at the end of the seminar during lunchtime and they'll say, Dr. Wald, as the blood detective, what's your protocol for rheumatoid arthritis? What's your protocol for inflammatory bowel disease, multiple sclerosis, migraine, headaches, Hashimoto's, thyroiditis, overweight, uh, cancer, heart disease, all of that, uh, diabetes, etc. And I say is you give the patient what they need for their needs. So if you look at their chemistry, a lot of different chemistry, and you fulfill on their needs, their body tends to heal. It's not as simple as you looking up your condition in some book and you follow a protocol. That will almost never work. And I know this because that's the most common thing that people tend to do and the most common thing that healthcare providers tend to do when they give radio shows or they write articles. They have to make it sort of simple because they know this is very complex. But unfortunately, oversimplifying this isn't helping anyone. That's why I use the big words during this show. That's why when you listen to Ask the Blood Detective, you're going to learn a holistic health vocabulary and you're going to learn a way of thinking. So the first way of thinking I've asked you to consider during this show is to give a person what they need for their needs. That's a particular way that you think about yourself and others so that you and they can figure out what they actually need. Not just taking things because you heard that this one supplement or this one food or this combination of supplements or foods is what they need. Sometimes that will work, but mostly it won't. That's what I've learned during 30-something years of people coming to me and saying, Dr. Wald, I've listened to this prominent person, I will not name names, and I did everything they said and still I got cancer and metastasized or it worked for a while and then it stopped working because generalizations rarely work. It's just like generalizations in politics or religion. They're always wrong because generalizations are generalizations. And by definition, will never apply to everyone. And the same is true with holistic endeavors. You need what you need for your needs. I test a person. I give them questionnaires. I, I ask them questions. I bring in my 30 plus years of, of experience. And then we try something and then we retest certain things. And then if things change the way we like, fantastic, we keep doing that. If some things are lingering, we make adjustments by giving the person what they need for their new needs and their new needs again, etc., etc. So what I want to do now is to review some of the theories of aging and the specific nutrients now thought to be useful in preventing aging. And remember what I said, I'm giving you some generalizations, but I'm also giving you a caveat that you may not need these things. You need to know if you need these things and the appropriate types of tests need to be done, which is also problemsome, I admit it. Um, for example, if you are taking vitamin D, 
you need to take vitamin D until your blood test results shows that your level of vitamin D is at least a 70, if not as high as a 90. Because we know that the higher normal the vitamin D level is in the blood, the, the lower one's overall risk of morbidity and mortality, risk of dying and risk of um, quality of suffering for, for various reasons in terms of loss of quality of life. So we need to know if you take that vitamin D that it's working to get you there. And if it hasn't, it's simply not right and we need to fix that. Or if you check your vitamin D, even though I might talk about that, but your vitamin D level is about an 80 or a 90, then the nutrient doesn't apply to you. Okay, so please remember that the while some of the nutrients are found regularly in our food supply and therefore uh, are quite natural to the body, others uh, need to be taken in supplemental form. So this back and forth by some individuals and some even uh, healthcare organizations about, uh, you know, which is better uh, foods or supplements is um, silly and it is misguided. And the reason why it is is because we can do both. Um, simply because uh, human beings have made a capsule or a tablet or a powder or a liquid supplement and it doesn't grow on trees doesn't mean it can't be used and it can't be more effective than those things that do grow on trees. So sometimes the naturalists, and I'm generalizing here, <laughs> but at least I'm stating a generalization, uh, will say a thing like that. And then there are the scientists that will, will, will say that the supplements are much better than foods. It's a combination of both I've found and the combination of foods and supplements for a particular person should depend on what the person needs given their health issues and concerns. And then the right nutrient or right food needs to be given at the right time, the right place and the right dose and produce the right effect that we can look upon uh, in testing. So for those of you just joining us, my name is Dr. Michael Wald. You're listening to Ask the Blood Detective, and we're talking about aging and anemia and arthritis, just because I felt like it. <laughs> and some of you have asked for all of these shows at one point or, or another. And uh, for those of you who want to reach me for a, um, a, a Zoom consultation or a phone consultation or in person, can do that by calling 914-552-1442. I'm located... Uh, in Katona, New York, but soon to be in uh, Chappaqua, which is in Westchester, which is an hour north of New York City. So let's talk about the free radical theory of aging for a little bit. So probably the most publicized theory on aging, the free radical concept, was first uh, proposed by um, a, a person at the University of Nebraska named Hammond, and he suggests that many of the cellular changes uh, that are age-related or caused by oxygen radical damage. So these free radicals, as they were called, have been implicated in many degenerative uh, disorders and disease states, including cancer, uh, cataracts, uh, and degeneration of the brain and neurons. <coughs> Excuse me. And remember what I said earlier, that uh, there are urinary tests, the malonyldialdehyde or MDA test, that is the best test uh, and very simple and inexpensive test that costs under $75 to figure out your overall free radical inflammatory levels. So now a free radical is a molecule uh, with an unpaired and highly reactive electron. An oxygen free radical is one of the byproducts of natural metabolism that is produced when 
cells change food and oxygen into energy. So as these free radicals uh, seek a mate, so to speak, for their uh, lone electron, they take on an electron from another molecule, which, is, which then becomes unstable and in turn seeks another electron. So in this way I've just described, a chain of reactions occur causing a series of compounds, some of which are harmful to healthy tissues. So all you need to know is a free radical is a highly reactive rogue electron that damages stuff. So the tissues most sensitive to the free radical chain reaction damage are proteins, uh, cellular membranes, which are around almost every cell of the body, and nucleic acids. So in particular, DNA and the DNA in the mitochondria, which is where energy is produced in the body, are mostly affected. And when you affect the energy processes of cells, you affect every single cell, or at least every single cell that has mitochondria. So free radicals damage mitochondria. Most cells have mitochondria, and therefore there will be energetic defects that might look like low energy that you can perceive, or it might not. You may feel fine, but you might just have disease because cells don't have the cellular energy or the energetics to make corrections. And by corrections, I mean that your cells notice damage and can fix it, and that damage being caused by free radicals. Many recent studies demonstrate a primary role of free radicals in the causation uh, of so-called diseases of old age, such as cancer, arthritis, diabetes, cardiovascular disease, impaired immune systems, and brain aging, and other degenerative conditions such as Alzheimer's or Alzheimer's dementia, and other types of dementias, like vascular dementias. So the free radical production is, as I mentioned earlier, a normal process. And naturally, the body has its own defenses to protect it against this damage. There are termed antioxidants, which I mentioned, and are, they are a normal part of a healthy diet and are produced naturally within the body as well. So included in this class of so-called antioxidants, remember what I said earlier about antioxidants are really misnomers. These antioxidants I'm going to name for you now may act as oxidants in the body. But included in the antioxidant list, officially speaking, are substances like vitamin A, uh, beta carotene, vitamin C and E, as well as enzymes uh, such as superoxide uh, dismutase. The theory goes that uh, these prevent most but not all oxidative damage. And by these, I mean those antioxidants I just named. And little by little, cellular damage accumulates and is finally observed as the aging process of tissues and organ systems. So some people, people suffer uh, accelerated free radical damage due to a bad diet, uh, deficient in naturally occurring so-called antioxidants, and others accumulate excess free radicals through a number of inappropriate lifestyle choices. Now, supplemental antioxidant formulas are available from all health food stores that include most of the uh, currently known uh, nutrients uh, with these properties. As clinical trials continue uh, as to this protective role of antioxidants in the aging process, we do know that the optimal uptake of antioxidant nutrients will contribute to enhanced quality of life as well as longevity. But as I said earlier, you must do tests of oxidative stress 
like the urine test, malonyldialdehyde or MDA. Otherwise, there is no way for you to know if these so-called antioxidants are actually acting as reparative antioxidants or if they're acting as degenerative oxidants. Now, the supplementation approach of supplying extra antioxidants to help repair damage done by excessive free radical damage is not as effective as preventing the free radical damage in the first place. Also, the suggested oral administration of antioxidants such as superoxide dismutase, which is normally produced in the body, in other words, endogenously, is not well supported in the literature. In other words, superoxide dismutase, you can buy that in a health food store, but it doesn't work. So what do you do to get this antioxidant-oxidant thing right? Well, the best approach, I believe, is to apply the knowledge uh, that you'll hear in this you know, hour or so talk to your longevity goals uh, in, in three ways. One, you want to reduce cellular aging by consuming a diet high in naturally occurring antioxidants, which would be um, basically a plant-based diet. But by the way, a plant-based diet is not good for everyone. If you're someone, and I'm overly simplifying here, but who needs more protein, let's say, to form immunoglobins for your immune system, and you're on a plant-based diet, you could actually be immune deficient. So yes, a plant-based diet probably is the best overall diet for most people on the planet, but it's not complete in and of itself. I start there with patients, uh, if they're willing, and then I build upon that from there. So you want to consume, as I said, uh, a diet high in naturally occurring antioxidants. And then, and the reason for that, once again, is to prevent accelerated aging by avoiding a diet and lifestyle that causes excessive free radical damage. And you want to stimulate your body's natural production of superoxide dismutase, which you can do with the right tests and the right diet and the right retesting. I need to talk about glucose, sugar, uh, whenever we talk about aging. So elevated glucose levels or blood sugar can be a source of cellular uh, deterioration as a result of a process called glycosylation or glycation, where glucose attaches to proteins, they bind together, that's called cross-linking. Like an age spot, that's, that's glucose that joins to protein. And the age spots you might see, let's say on the, um, the back of your hand, uh, tend to correlate with um, placking or age placking in the brain. Now, when sugar binds to uh, proteins, the biochemistry and the structure of different tissues is adversely affected. It's a very slow but steady process that seems to toughen tissues and cause some of the tissue deterioration commonly associated with aging. So these cross-links, uh, often termed advanced glycosylation end products, or AEGs, are thought to harden connective tissue or collagen, arteries, the lenses of the eye causing cataracts, and reduce efficiency of the nerves and kidneys. So when glucose binds to the proteins in all those tissues I just mentioned, it causes disease. Now, in support of this theory, it's observed that diabetics who have raised glucose levels uh, show all of these tissue changes and have a greatly uh, shortened lifespan. The body's normal defense against this process, I would say, comes from 
what's called the macrophages of the immune system. They're types of, um, of cells that clean up things. Uh, specific AGE products, in other words, advanced glycosylation product receptors are on macrophages. And that allows these macrophages to break up some of the advanced glycosylation products, which is a good thing, and delivers those broken down products via the bloodstream to the, the kidneys for elimination. So when people say to me, Dr. Wald, what should I do to detox? I'm always a little confused by that question because there's, there's dozens and dozens, if not hundreds of ways to detox. If you want to detox advanced glycosylation uh, products, you don't do that with, let's say, EDTA. For some of you who don't know um, about detoxification, it, it's basically a process of removing unwanted products from the body. And there are different ways of doing that. So there are chemicals called chelators which bind to toxins and bring them out, but they only bind to certain ones. Like EDTA is a, is a weak chelator of mercury, so it's not the best choice. But if you use N-acetylcysteine for mercury, that tends to work very well. Um, my point is you have to detox for the appropriate toxins. So if the toxins are advanced glycosylation products, you need to find out what you need to detox those and not think that some sort of generalized juicing fast or something is going to work for that. It might help, but you really need to know. And that's beyond the scope of the show right now to, to, to go into that. But I did do a show called Detox Deception, which is definitely worth a, a listen to. Once again, for those who are joining us, my name is Dr. Michael Wald, and uh, you're listening to Ask the Blood Detective. Uh, my educational background includes medical school, chiropractic school, uh, a master's in nutrition, uh, a PhD in nutrition. I'm a dietitian, a certified nutrition specialist, a sports nutritionist, uh, and a double board certified nutritionist. I, I think I got them all. But the reason why I tell you these is because these credentials uh, allow me to do the kind of personalized work that people need beyond just guessing, uh, which is what most or many practitioners tend to do. So if you want to detoxify advanced glycosylation products that damage the whole body, for example, like in diabetes, which again is a condition where lifespan is dramatically reduced, you need to support the macrophages of the immune system because they clean up that mess. How do you do that? That depends on your needs. And once I know your needs, I can give you the right fix for that. So the research clearly implicates uh, modern Western diets that are high in refined carbohydrates and refined sugars um, cause rapid rises in blood sugar and thus favor advanced glycosylation production and advanced glycosylation accumulation. So to produce advanced glycosylation production, a diet of whole grains is essential unless you're allergic to those grains. But that's not all. Also that plant-based diet and maybe more proteins and the proteins might be animal-based depending on you and your chemistry or it might be plant-based. Not all of my patients are willing to go on a plant-based diet, but I would have to say if I were forced to that a plant-based diet uh, or plant-based proteins in, in particular are superior uh, for health than um, animal-based uh, proteins. Let me speak about some hormones since we are talking about aging. So research into supplementation of a number of hormones uh, known to decline with aging has shown positive results in preventing and reversing many of the signs and symptoms of aging. 
So while the research in this direction is very encouraging, it's important to remember that the long-term effects and complications of supplementation of hormones uh, is unclear. So my approach is always to try to improve the nutrition of the person so that they can maximize their endogenous hormones, the ones they make in their bodies, rather than throw synthetic hormones at them or even natural hormones that are not naturally theirs, okay? And what about growth hormone, for example? So there's been some studies uh, performed, some really good ones at the Veterans Administration Hospital, and um, a small group of men aged 60 and over were given injections of um, recombinant human growth hormone. Um, this is a synthetic version of the hormone produced in the pituitary gland and plays an essential role uh, in normal childhood growth and development. Uh, so these men showed increased lean body mass, increased muscle, reduced excess body fat, and thickened skin. Growth hormone, we know, declines with aging and is now thought to be closely related to the aging process overall. So I personally uh, make sure that I maximize my protein intake, my oxidation, antioxidant uh, balance, and other nutritional factors that are growth hormone precursors rather than taking hormone from the outside. If you take hormone from the outside, and I'm not saying that there's never a reason for that because there are reasons, uh, you do increase your risk of diabetes and um, you also reduce your body's ability to recognize growth hormone overall because over time, the body may become uh, desensitized to the growth hormone that you're taking from the outside. What about estrogen? So estrogen is called the female hormone and estrogen levels we know decline with age most rapidly after menopause. And we know that estrogen is produced mainly by the ovaries but secondarily in the adrenal glands and the fat tissue. And estrogen helps maintain bone density and what else? And it maintains secondary sexual characteristics. Um, estrogen replacement therapy is used to help with the more troublesome uh, symptoms often associated with menopause, such as a painful sexual activity uh, due to reduced natural lubrication um, and osteoporosis. So as I just mentioned, estrogen replacement therapy is still very controversial uh, carrying an increased risk uh, to cancer. There are many natural approaches to hormone and estrogen balancing, and they may not be the characteristic ones that you may be thinking of. So for example, the herb Dong Kwai is thought to help um, with estrogen levels, and it might in some people. But in others, a probiotic is what they need because a person might be hyperabsorbing spent or used up estrogens from their gut back into their bloodstream causing an excess, but probiotics helps the biometabolism of estrogens. But who thinks of probiotics when they're dealing with estrogen? Well, they should. And that's just one example I'm giving you. I'll give you one more example of a hormone that's important, and that would be DHEA. So DHEA is short for dehydroepiandosterone, and it's a hormone produced by the adrenal glands. And most of you should know that the adrenal glands are the glands that help us manage stress. Psychological stress, physical stress, the stress of aging, the stress of repair, the stress of disrepair, the stress of um, not sleeping enough, of being dehydrated, of being toxic, you name it, it all goes through the adrenal glands. So DHA acts as a relatively weak male hormone and as a precursor to testosterone and estrogen. 
Now, in some individuals, if, if the nutrition is done right in the diet, DHEA will not form the bad estrogen called estradiol. It'll form the safer anti-cancer estrogen, estrone. But DHA supplementation has a ton of research for its possible effects upon aging. I certainly do take it. Uh, it's researched for, uh, well, we know that it declines in aging along with testosterone. And as the immune system declines, it's usually along the same time that DHA levels uh, decline as well. And that decline might increase one's risk of cancer and even multiple sclerosis to give one particular uh, example. So DHA is abundant in youth and declines by age 30. So from that point forward, you really want to look at your adrenal glands. And the way I do that is I don't do a lot of cortisol DHA sulfate testing, which are the typical things that, that people do because they're not accurate. Um, any endocrinologist knows this, and that's why they laugh at some of these holistic practitioners for doing these tests. Uh, so we use, or I use my nutritional holistic common sense when supporting someone's adrenal glands by reducing the nutritional deficiency stresses, by reducing the nutritional inadequate or improper combination of nutrients and or diet stressors upon the adrenal gland and the rest of the lifestyle of the individual, not to mention to talk about their coping mechanisms and possibly the use of meditation. Uh, I particularly like walking meditation, uh, the Thich Nhat Hanh uh, style there. So I just thought I'd give you this, these few sound bites on aging. Now we're gonna talk about anemias. So I did a show um, on anemias, the name of which escapes me at the moment. But if you search anemias on my uh, website page, on the homepage under the search bar, uh, and the website, by the way, is drmichaelwall.com, it's just one word, uh, search for anemia and you'll be able to listen to a show with more detail. But as we get older, we tend to become more anemic, and those of us that get disease become more anemic than others. And I'm not just talking about iron anemia. There are over a dozen different types of anemia. So anemia literally means without blood. And it's a deficiency of red blood cells or the presence of abnormal red blood cells due to either uh, reduced production, abnormal production, excessive destruction, or blood loss. But other anemias could be protein deficiency anemias, B6, vitamin B6 deficiency anemias, vitamin C deficiency anemias, uh, glutathione anemias, and there are others. The symptoms of the more common iron deficiency anemia would be pallor, and fatigue, and dizziness, and headaches, and depression, slow healing, lack of sex drive, bruising, nervousness, shortness of breaths, and heart palpitations. That's why I give my patients detailed questionnaires in addition to questioning them verbally, because there's a lot of subtle symptoms that a person might miss, particularly if they have more than one anemia at the same time. And again, Anemias tend to age the body. So you want to identify these deficiencies so that the body ages better and it lasts longer. So what are the considerations for um, anemia in general? Well, we know that iron deficiency is the most common of all the anemias, that malabsorption, um, which by the way can be enhanced by too much caffeine or coffee or even chocolate, uh, because it reduces, the, uh, th these foods reduce the ability uh, of you to absorb iron. And then, of course, there's heavy menstruation, 
uh, ulcers, hemorrhoids, these will all cause blood loss and therefore iron loss. And then there's B12 or folic acid anemia or deficiencies. That's best figured out when you look at blood work and you're measuring something called MCV, mean corpuscular hemoglobin, and a few other tests. Not serum B12 or serum folic acid levels because the levels of these vitamins in the blood do not tell you if they're getting into the red blood cell. If you look directly at a red blood cell and it's too large under a microscope, and that's what a B12 or folic acid deficiency anemia looks like, large red blood cells, a person would need to take B12, folic acid, and sometimes B6 until the red blood cell is normal size, not the blood plasma or blood serum being normal or not. So you could actually have an elevated level of B12 or folic acid in the plasma, which is a very common finding, and doctors will quickly say, oh, stop taking those vitamins without looking at the size of the blood under a scope. You might have increased levels of those vitamins, as I just mentioned, in the blood because they're not getting into the cell, so the cell is getting large saying, please notice me, I'm deficient, and it's getting bigger, please notice me. But like a muscle that gets bigger in the gym with every rep, Repetition, it becomes weaker. So we need to fix these anemias. And then there's nutritional anemias from like many vegans have that have no uh, animal products at all. And they also tend to lack B12, uh, usually due to a lack of uh, green vegetables, which will also cause a lack of folic acid. And then there's conditions that can commonly be associated with anemias. Um, like conditions of old age or what we now know because we're smarter now as blood detectives that they're not conditions of old age. They're conditions that can go along with old age. The association of the two does not mean that one causes the other. Colitis, for example, inflammation of the colon will cause malabsorption, also food allergies and also uh, bleeding ulcers and loss of iron. Uh, so not only will you get iron anemias, but I found in my colitis patients, they definitely, they usually have several different types of anemias, including the B vitamin anemias, and they'll be deficient in protein. So they'll have a protein anemia. Those are just a few of them. And then there's um, one factor in old age that's common is poor absorption. I'll, I'll keep mentioning that because that needs to be checked. Every single patient that I ever see is checked for that. And... Um, but in older individuals that, let's say, don't have good dentures, they're not eating very well, so they're going to be anemic in all kinds of things. And then many infants uh, develop iron anemia um, and vitamin E anemias, and they're never even identified, along with um, uh, vitamin C, very common. If one has abnormal bacterial flora in the intestinal tract, that will tend to cause uh, anemias as well, because the gut wall, particularly in the in the small intestine, uh, is leaky and it is malabsorbing because of that. Uh, chlorine, by the way, in the environment, in drinking water, destroys gut flora, uh, as, as do a lot of other things, by the way. Um, and that is something to be aware of. So just quickly, to give you a kind of a list of a few more anemias is, there's vitamin C anemia, there's vitamin E anemia, B6 anemia, uh, thyroid uh, disorders and liver disorders all will cause different kinds of anemias. 
uh, any disease of the bone marrow because the bone marrow has the red, red cells, the white blood cells, and the platelets all made in the bone marrow. So when cancer, for example, uh, attacks the bone marrow, it will cause what's known as a, uh, a pancytopenia, which means all of the cells produced become anemic. Uh, not necessarily all at the same time in the, in the, in the cancer patient, but ultimately when they do show up at the same time, uh, the definition of uh, pancytopenia is given, which refers to all of those anemias. There's marathon runner anemia, there's alcoholism anemia, there's infectious disease anemia, there's autoimmune anemias, and heavy metals like lead, for example, displace calcium and other minerals in the body. So this nonsense about removing all the metals and doing that a whole lot after to, to, to find out what anemias are being caused is uh, a mistake, is a clinical mistake. Once again, for those just joining us, you're listening to the three A's, which uh, are arthritis, uh, anemia, and aging. And we're discussing quite a bit of detail, um, practical detail, because I think it's important for all the listeners out there to know as much as I know in this area if you're going to properly navigate the, the morass of, of silly concepts out there so you can get well and stay well. So what are some of the ways to repair some of these anemias? Well, foods rich in iron include meat and liver from organically raised cattle is preferable, fish, egg yolks, blackstrap, molasses, dark green vegetables, now, I want to say that if you have an iron anemia and it's severe, you're not going to fix that with plant foods, not even Floridix, some concentrated liquid plant-based iron. It will never work. Don't believe me? Give it a try. It won't hurt you either. So you may have to take an iron supplement is what I'm saying. If you're, if you're opposed to meat, meat is a very good source of iron. There's no doubt about that. And it will fix an iron anemia because meat contains heme iron that's very well absorbed. The plant foods, like spinach, for example, they contain non-heme iron, and they are very poorly absorbed. So when you hear people pushing plant-based diets claiming that you're going to fix these anemias with a plant-based diet because spinach has this much iron in it, um, it is um, misleading. And foods rich in B12, again, meat, fish, eggs, dairy products, uh, even comfrey, um, bitter almonds, and... Um, those are some of the bigger ones, but if you actually have macrocytosis or large red blood cells, you're going to need a special form of B12 along with folic acid and B6, B6 that is, to fix that. So when I determine what foods and nutrients a person needs with their anemias, I base it on a lot of questions. I do a full questionnaire of all body systems. And then I go over that with each person that I sit with. And then I decide on what labs would give me information that I otherwise could not guess, even with my 31 years. So let's just hit the arthritis or arthritis for a little bit. So we have different types of arthritis. And a lot of these are concomitant with aging, as I've said earlier, but they're not necessarily from aging. So Osteoarthritis, which is either local, maybe in your thumb or generalized where it's in your knees and your hip and your elbow and all these different places. They're basically, there's, there's calcium depositing in the soft tissues and the joints causing spurs and what's called lipping. And this is uh, something that is seen in, in, in a good number of people that age, that age poorly. 
it's very easy to determine with a careful examination and sometimes some testing, maybe some x-rays, what kind of arthritis you have. But it's safe to say that most everyone above age 50 has some amount of osteoarthritis or degenerative joint disease. And some people say, well, that's from uh, gravity uh, with the stress upon joints. But then uh, research a couple of decades ago said, well, even what looks like wear and tear arthritis that you think you get because of repetitive movements, when you can, you can though, that will, that will hasten it, can also be caused, folks, by bacteria in the mouth that gets into the blood that causes an inflammatory reaction causing arthritis or cancer or diabetes or autoimmune disease, all of those things and others, and heart disease too, have been linked to bacteria in the mouth and a leaky mouth, very much like a leaky gut. And I, I did a show called Leaky Mouth Syndrome, which you will find on my website at drmichaelwald.com under the blog section, or you can search for that uh, under the uh, homepage and just look search for the search bar. So the osteoarthritis is usually gradual with onset. There's you know, there's progressive pain, there's joint enlargement, and multiple joints are usually affected. Now, rheumatoid arthritis, which is one of the more common types of autoimmune arthritis, the onset of that is very abrupt and it's insidious. So the synovial membranes around joints, uh, in joints, thickens and the joint swells and it becomes red and tender. And sometimes it'll be even, even be hot to the touch. These are not findings you see in osteoarthritis or DJD, degenerative joint disease. And in arthritis, which is very different than osteoarthritis, the, the joints are affected in what's called a symmetrical way. You'll have like both knees affected in both hands. That's not usually, that's not usually the way that osteoarthritis uh, affects a person. But of course, you can have osteoarthritis in both your knees, and it'll be asymmetric, meaning there'll be different rates of degeneration in the knees, but in rheumatoid arthritis, it's symmetrical, so it's the same. And again, much more swelling and redness and hot joints. So there's so many different considerations when dealing with these arthritides and others. First, you all know it. It's find what the person needs and give them those things based on the proper testing, conversation, and questionnaires. But also the literature, the, the research does show a few things. My 30 years does show me a few things that sometimes a person is not eliminating properly and that will cause toxicity, which will promote inflammation in all the kinds of arthritis. So you need to reduce inflammation which means you need to know what's causing the inflammation or causes, and then you need to put those back for the patient and then see how they do. The person may have poor digestion. If you have low stomach acid or high stomach acid or enzyme deficiencies or stress with your bowels or your kidneys or your gallbladder or your liver, you're gonna have joint problems always because the toxins circulate and they circulate in your joints. And as long as those toxins are there, the joints will decay more and more and more. So the person will tend to eat too much meat, drink too much sodas, um, they will eat excessive carbohydrates, sweets, they will have a lack of raw vegetables, they will have more acid-forming foods in the diet, 
these are the kinds of things, and also an, an excess amount of calcium. The, the body doesn't know where to stick this calcium. So if your body can't properly metabolize calcium, you know, if you're 50 years old and older, I've said this before in my other shows, that 60% of you do not absorb normally. You don't have enough stomach acid. So you're not going to ionize or activate your calcium properly. So when calcium gets in the body, your body sticks it in your blood vessels, causing hardening of the arteries. It sticks it in your brain, causing dementia. It sticks it in your joints, causing arthritis. It sticks it in your breast tissue, causing breast cancer. It sticks it in your kidneys, causing kidney stones. And the list goes on and on. So it's very important to look at digestion and absorption in every single person. Everyone should be on a vitamin and mineral supplement. Whether it's with iron or not depends on you. Sometimes it's important to look at copper levels. They tend to be excessive in certain arthritides. Um, vitamin D tends to be deficient. There tends to be too much coffee, too much tea, too much salt, too much spices, too much alcohol. There may be food allergies, which are triggering joint inflammation and, and overall body inflammation. And also just being like not stretching, being inflexible. Um, also psychologically being inflexible, being unwilling to change your diet, holding on to long-term resentments and worry and envy and fear and anxiety and depression and deep shock. All of these things change your chemistry. So in terms of the diet, the dietary therapies must begin by identifying which of the, the etiological factors interact to cause the abnormality in a person, in you. So while no two arthritic patients are alike, it's usually not very difficult to pinpoint the major problem areas. Uh, diet, as with many other degenerative or autoimmune disorders, stands out as the major detrimental influence, in my opinion. Uh, many sufferers of arthritis, that's different types of arthritis, like both osteo and rheumatoid, have dietary patterns that are clearly problematic. Uh, heavy meat consumption is a common finding. Meat contains anywhere from 20 to 50 times more phosphorus than calcium, and that stimulates the parathyroid gland responsible for the mobilization of calcium from bones. The extra calcium is then deposited around the joints, explaining the common findings of arthritis of um, and, less, des and, and le less dense bones. So we tend to see osteopenia or osteoporosis with chronic arthritis and or inflammation and or malabsorption. So one factor alone uh, may be the reason for why, let's say vegetarians have less of an instance of osteoarthritis than meat eaters because they don't eat meat. Also the excess in refined carbohydrates and sweets. So not only are these foods robbing you of many naturally occurring vitamins and minerals, but they are pro-inflammatory. I don't have a lot of time to say much more on this other than to say that raw vegetable juice fasting is particularly good for both of these arthritides uh, to be consumed once or twice a day, depending on the person. And um, again, finding out what laboratory work reveals the specific nutritional factors so that we can target your biochemical uniqueness, just like Roger, Dr. Roger Williams said in the 1950s. And by the way, Dr. Roger Williams won two Nobel Prizes uh, in chemistry and in B vitamins. And he said that vitamins work. So when the, the regular physician out there claims that uh, nutrients don't work, I say to them, Roger Williams won two Nobel Prizes. Do you really think you're smarter than he is? Do you really think you're smarter than Linus Pauling, the promoter of vitamin C, who won not only a Peace Prize, 
but another prize in chemistry. <laughs> Thank you, everyone, for listening to today's show. I hope you got something out of our discussion on arthritis, anemias, and aging. My name is Dr. Michael Wald. You can reach me for in-person or distance consultation by calling 914-552-1442. You can email me your questions and show ideas at info at blooddetective.com, or you can check out my website and post your comments on the blog or download any information there that you'd like at drmichaelwald.com. Take care, everyone. Come out, Virginia. Don't let it wait. You Catholic girls start much too.